0: Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Jasmine Kim Westendorf, author of the new book, Violating Peace, Sex, Aid, and Peacekeeping. Jasmine Kim Westendorf is senior lecturer in international relations at La Trobe University, Australia, and a research associate at the Developmental Leadership Program. She is author of Why Peace Processes Fail. We spoke to Jasmine Kim about the consolidated data that she has collected in her book, showing that sexual exploitation and abuse has happened in every peace operation and every peace-building process that the international community has been involved in, and that it continues to this day. This ongoing sexual misconduct has significant and long-term impacts on the capacity and credibility of the international community involved in peacekeeping and Jasmine Kim's new book offers concrete policy suggestions that more effectively address this phenomenon in future peace operations hello Jasmine Kim welcome to the podcast
1: hi thanks so much for having me
0: it's our pleasure uh, well congratulations I want to give you a congratulations on your new book violating peace sex aid and peacekeeping uh, it's a very important book and a, a lot of research that you've put into this book. First question I wanted to ask was, uh, what's the backstory? What what brought you into this, this topic?
1: Yeah, it's really, it's a very winding and confusing backstory in a lot of ways. I never set out to write this book and I never set out to research this book. And it came quite as a surprise to me, I think. I was um, My broader research interests are around why peace processes fail in civil wars and what it is about how the international community supports societies as they move from peace to war that often doesn't quite get it right. And I was doing interviews with communities in uh, Nepal and Timor-Leste uh, about this issue and people started telling me things like, well, the international community couldn't have got it right because we didn't always tell them exactly what was going on at the, at the very local level around our security concerns and issues. And if I dug into why that was, a number of people started saying, well, we, we weren't sure we wanted them here, because there were previous people who had acted in ways that were sexually inappropriate with our young women or our children. Wow. And that came as quite a surprise to me. It's something that I knew of vaguely. I'd heard reports in the media, but I'd never made the connections to how that might actually affect the the way a peace process and a peace-building process plays out. And so I did some digging and I realised that sexual exploitation and abuse – is something that has happened in every peace operation, in every peace building process uh, that the international community has been involved in, that it's a really diverse issue. And in a lot of ways that it's a really tricky one. There has been 20 years of policy development on this issue now. There are a lot of great people who've been working very hard to try and prevent uh, sexual exploitation and abuse from being perpetrated. And yet it continues to happen. Every time it happens, there's an international outcry or every time it hits the international media, I should say, there's outcry. And world leaders say things like, this affects our credibility, it undermines the capacity of the United Nations. But there was actually no data, no solid consolidated data on how that happens. And that's what prompted me to write this book, to try and investigate actually what happens when those who are sent to protect and assist violate Um, the people who are some of the most vulnerable people in the world and how that affects the long-term outcomes of peace building processes you know does it actually make peace less likely to stick does it affect the um, the society in that post-war state for a long time does how does it affect the economy the security institutions the judicial institutions and so on
0: wow it makes total sense um, that that sexual exploitation and abuse would have an incredible impact on on peacekeeping and and as you were saying in, in your uh, what you experienced in your field research is that residents and citizens of the countries involved they're like we don't know if we want these people back. So obviously we're an academic publisher. This is a, this is a book aimed towards academics, but it also has broader reach to people in the field. Um, how do you hope your, your book will make an impact both in academia and outside of academia?
1: Well, I think the book makes some really interesting findings and they weren't findings that I expected when I set out on this research. I thought it would be um, my my sort of my hunch was that I would be able to show a really strong impact that these abuses had on trust between local communities and peacekeepers. I didn't expect to find so much evidence, which was based on interviews in uh, Bosnia, Timor-Leste, with the humanitarian community, with the United Nations, I didn't expect to find so much data that really showed how these behaviours fundamentally undermine all of the UN's goals when it goes into peacekeeping operations. It undermines the establishment of um, robust security institutions, it undermines the uh, the cultures of human rights that UN peacekeeping and humanitarian organisations aim to cultivate. It obviously harms civilians and and violates human rights. It undermines the capacity of women to participate uh, equally and robustly in processes of um, peace building, uh, and it it fundamentally challenges the the, the values that. underwrite UN peacekeeping operations, values around human rights, justice, equality, respect, um, protection, and so on. And I think that's probably where I hope this book has the most impact. When I've spoken to people in the field about this issue, there are those who are in senior positions who take it very seriously, but who ultimately think it's an issue of code and conduct. And if we just get the rules right, people will stop abusing and exploiting local populations. And I think what my book shows is that this is much more severe than that. It's a much greater and much more complex issue that requires greater resourcing and greater attention to how it feeds into um, other challenges facing UN peacekeeping, around the relationships with local communities, the dynamics of power, um, around how the UN aims to um, and other organisations try to address issues of uh, conflict-related sexual violence, marginalisation and how the behaviours of peacekeepers on a very personal level can critically affect mission outcomes. So what I'm hoping this book can do is garner, I guess, a a broader response to the issue that addresses it more holistically and in in a lot of ways puts it at the heart of some of the challenges facing peacekeeping rather than an issue that sits at the periphery that's just one of individual uh, men who perpetrate violence against individuals or groups. Of women and children.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, in that vein, uh, it's it's great to hear that there are holistic. Like you have like a holistic treatment plan, so to speak, for this uh, this issue. Um, and this issue already is is very controversial. I'm so glad you've brought it up to uh, the forefront. What arguments within the book do you see as the most controversial?
1: I think one of my central arguments is that sexual exploitation and abuse by peacekeepers is not an individualised issue. It's not just an issue of individuals who break rules and perpetrate violence. It's a much deeper, much more systemic issue. The causes of this are not just, um, for instance, militarised masculinities or um, bad command and control structures within military units. The causes are around um, the you know, normative frameworks under which peacekeeping is deployed, around gender frameworks. Uh, there's issues around the contextual factors of vulnerability, historical factors. So there's a whole lot of issues that contribute to the perpetration of this issue. And I think in some ways that might uh, come as not a surprise, um, but, but it it doesn't follow the standard light of logic that some of the policies around this issue take, I guess. Okay. Um, I think the other controversial finding of this book is that it's not an issue at the periphery of peacekeeping effectiveness, but at the heart of peacekeeping effectiveness, and that if the the literature and the work being done around uh, cohesion of peacekeeping forces, around um, ensuring that peacekeepers are uh, acting in ways that protect civilians actively in, in in situations of violent conflict, if those weren't sitting sort of at the top of uh, the minds of officials, but they were also looking at how the everyday behaviours of peacekeepers affected their capacity to build peace, build security institutions, um, so, uh, support the development of you know cultures of human rights, respect and, and, and peace and so on. I think peacekeeping in itself would become more effective. And I think the other critical part of this is that this, these behaviours fundamentally undermine global perceptions of the legitimacy of UN peacekeeping. And one of the things I was able to do in the track was in the book, sorry, was track how that occurred at the local level, so how it broke trust and broke the sense of legitimacy between the communities peacekeepers were sent to serve and those peacekeepers, but how it happened globally, and the way that affected the willingness of communities around the world and states around the world to contribute funding for peacekeeping um, personnel for peacekeeping, uh, whether that that affected their willingness to give to humanitarian organizations more broadly as well given the the way humanitarian and civilian staff are often complicit in these behaviors as well and i think in a lot of ways that will come as a surprise to many people that tackling the legitimacy crisis facing peacekeeping and humanitarian action globally hinges in a lot of ways on these behaviors of, of peacekeepers humanitarians and others associated with peace operations
0: you make a really powerful argument this as you said this is at the core of the problem of under, and it completely undermines everything that the UN stands for if you if we could snap our fingers and get this book into the right hands who would that be and secondly what what would you i, I know you have uh, proposals within the book what would you ask these folks to do
1: i would love if this book would land in the hands of the people responsible for peacekeeping policy at the United Nations and also in the hands of the mid and senior level uh leaders who who lead units in peacekeeping operations and in humanitarian operations which work alongside those so that's not just the the military and the police units but the civilian organi- the, the civilian arms of UN action humanitarian NGOs and so on uh, because it's really up to those people at the mid and senior levels rather than the very global levels. Um, they're the ones who can change the culture around uh, how people within their organisation behave and how allegations of abuse and exploitation are dealt with um, and how prevention can occur more effectively. In terms of the, uh, the, what I would hope they would do, I think there needs to be a complete rethink of how sexual exploitation and abuse is addressed. It's not simply a HR issue. It's not something that people just need to be given a code and conduct training around. It's something around very deeply around the cultures within organisations, and around um, ensuring that the problem is seen more holistically, and that the responses are also much more holistic as a result. And that's going to require greater resourcing, and sort of a smarter approach to bringing together the multiple factors that that create risk for these behaviours, but also prevent perpetrators from being held accountable.
0: Wow. Well. We're gonna do our very best to get this book into the hands of the right people. You've created such a powerful resource that needs to be read, needs to be implemented on the ground. And that's part of the reason why we're so proud and excited to be publishing your book. So thank you so much for writing this. And it was a pleasure talking with you.
1: Thanks so much, Jonathan.
0: All right, thank you, Jasmine Kim. That was Jasmine Kim Westendorf, author of the new book, Violating Peace, Sex, Aid, and Peacekeeping. Follow Jasmine Kim on her Twitter account, at JasmineKimW. As a loyal listener to the podcast, we'd like to offer you a special 30% discount on Jasmine Kim's new book. To receive your discount, please go to cornellpress.cornell.edu and use the promo code 09POD. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSANounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.